everybody. This is Marguerite Crespillo, and I'm excited today to have uh, Ryan Lundquist with us, who is an appraiser, and I'm really fascinated by some of the stuff he does. He's, a, he's an incredible blogger, so be sure to go check out his blog at sacramentoappraisalblog.com, because he always has some really great insight, and not just for our local market, but he has some really fun and fascinating facts and interesting stuff for, I think, that it pretty much applies to, to anywhere in the U.S., so welcome, Ryan. Oh, thanks so much for the kind words, and it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. So we kind of had a whole list of questions that that we wanted to talk about. I don't know how much of it we'll get through, but here's a, I think what most people want to hear right now is what the heck is going on? It seems like the last 60 days that, um, at least here in Placer County, I don't know about other areas, but here in the Roseville-Rockland area, things have, have really slowed down. Inventory's increased and buyers are taking longer so what do you see from the appraisal perspective yeah well it's definitely an interesting market i mean and i think it what's happening now i think is related to really what what began to happen in early 2012 when the market hit bottom at that time where it really just made sense for values to increase because they had hit a level where um, renters are going to say why am i spending this much on rent i can actually purchase a house for less and so the market really increased rapidly, and it was a perfect storm where interest rates hit as soon as the market, as soon as prices hit bottom in early 2012, interest rates were for the first time below 4%. And then cash investors came in the market a little later, and it really ramped up values very, very quickly. But I think the slowness that we're feeling is directly related to last year. Between May and June, what happened to interest rates, interest rates increased from 35 to 4% over that one-month period. And there are a lot of real estate articles that said, hey, this is no big deal, this is normal, it's not going to impact the market. But I think that it did. But most importantly, I think one dynamic that happened then is cash investors who had been very aggressive and who their, their actions, I think, really helped propel values uh, really where they wouldn't have gone without those investors, um, they began to take their foot off the gas pedal. And so what that did, I think it really slowed down markets. You you can see really from July on last year, if you're looking at a graph of sales, that sales have been fairly flat. They dipped a little, and there's a slight uptick you know, in spring, uh, which is normal, but it's very, very slight. And yet lots of people are saying, you know, the market's been very flat. There's price reductions. And, and I think that the market's just trying to figure out what does it mean to be normal now, now that we're not sort of a market that's on steroids. And so there's sort of this withdrawal stage now and saying, well, what does it mean to be a real estate market that's more driven by the local economy or the job market? So it's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I saw a lot of that too. It's like, all those investors, that was awesome for everybody, but they kind of cut off their nose despite their face, it almost seemed. you know, They were buying up everything, which was consequently causing values to increase. And yeah. I felt that quite a bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, with housing supply was so low that last year where it just created this craziness in the market where buyers had to offer, you know, $20,000 above list price or, you know, they would put things in the contract that say, you know, we will pay $5,000 above appraised value just because there was that incredible competition. And so when you take out so many sales that, you know, like say this quarter, uh, first in 2014, they're about uh, seven to eight hundred less cash sales in Sacramento County, at least, and compared to last year. And so, to take out that many buyers in the market, it sort of created this sluggishness. And I think just we're still kind of recovering from that. And finally, these last couple months, their sales volume did increase a little, but overall, it's just it's still down from where it was before. So I know this is probably the age-old question uh, that you get: is what do you think is going to happen towards the fall? Ah, uh, yeah. Isn't that the million-dollar question? <laughs> I always say if it, I knew the answer, I'd be in Tahiti sipping my ties, right? I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, exactly, exactly. I, I would definitely, my bank account would be a whole lot fatter than it is. Um, you know, I say this. I mean, first, my crystal ball is broken, and so it's been broken <laughs> for a long time. And like I say, you know, predicting real estate is a little bit like predicting what Justin Bieber is going to do next. You know, you never, you never know what that kid's going to do. And so, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say. I will say that the market seems to be poised for a market that is going to be slower. And I was talking about that on my blog on, on January, really because the market cannot, can no longer be driven by those three and a half percent interest rates or all those out of town cash investors. And so, it's really more, it has to be a dynamic where, where the market's more driven by the local economy, as I was saying. And so um, it's poised to be slower, I think, also because affordability is coming into play since the job market really hasn't been all what we want it to be yet. And so we're really going to have to, you know, have, have jobs catch up to where the market went. And so the question of can people afford higher prices? And so unless loan programs change or if the fed you know if they do decrease rates that could that could be an x factor but if they keep rates the same or you know or they go they go a little higher it just seems that the market has to be slow um to to put it at best but i mean it's the rates always fascinate me because it's like how low can they go <laughs> you know 3 and 4 i mean when i first got into real estate in 1993 um, interest rates were at an all-time low of eight percent, and you know, and we thought, wow, man, they're never going to get much lower than that. And then they keep going lower. It's just kind of craziness. It, I, I'm not sure that that needs. To, I mean, obviously that's an important deciding factor, but they can't go. They can't go to zero. I suppose they could, but they're not going to go negative zero. So yeah, to- I, I certainly. I, I I would hope not. I mean, I honestly, I think what I would be more concerned. I think if the Fed does decrease rates to three and a half percent again, um, just because I, I feel like that would it would take our market even further up. And I feel like, hey, you know, it, let's let's slow down a bit here um, because that's going to get us into some trouble. And so, um, but yeah, I mean, four percent, four and a half percent rates. I mean, these are these are incredible, and it, you know, from a historical context, it, it's quite amazing how, how low. And you know, you hear people say, "I bought my house in 1980, and, and you know, we bought, you know, thought it was a great deal to have 12% rates." So exactly. So how did you yeah. end up getting into the appraisal business? How, how what took you there? Well, I was a teacher, 
and I, I love to teach, and that's one of the reasons why I visit real estate offices. I just love it so much, just to help educate. Um, and then I, my wife got pregnant, and we thought it was our goal to have her stay at home. And um, well, but my teacher's salary wasn't going to cut it, and so. I knew a couple of appraisers and said, would you guys be willing to train me? And sure enough, they did and uh, passed my state license and, you know, did an apprenticeship for 2,000 hours and, uh, you know, the rest is history. And that was been an appraiser full-time since 2003. So what kind of fascinating things have you seen? I mean, you've been doing this now. You've been through really kind of the low to the high to the low to <laughs> all of this oh, yeah. stuff. And what would you say has been really the thing that impacts value the most in what's going on with the market? Over that period of time, it's changed so much, so I'm not sure that question was very clear. But um, Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think if – are you just asking what 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 helps a property be worth the most? Is that is that kind of where you're going? I or? think so. Like one of the questions frequently is asked, as a real estate agent, clients ask, well, I just got this question today, as a matter of fact, is what improvements can we do that will really help the value? And it always seems like the improvements don't really – are not equal to the value or the cost of the improvements are not equal to the value, right? So somebody puts in a pool and spends, you know, $50,000 on a pool does not mean they're going to increase the value of their home. By yeah, them, right? that that is so true. There, there's a huge difference between cost and value. It, the price of something versus what you can really get out of the market. And really what what I tell people, the thing that impacts value the most is really what the market's doing rather than what you're doing to your home. If the market's increasing, then you can do absolutely nothing to your house and you sit back and you're going to gain equity overnight. Um, or if the market's declining, then there's probably very little you can do to, you know, to keep up with that pace of the decline, depending on how aggressive it is. And, you know, of course, you know, what what sells a home? You know, probably the kitchen and, and, and maybe the bathrooms, of course, the layout. And we could go on and on about everything. But, you know, even say a kitchen remodel, if a homeowner spends $30,000, they're probably not going to find a buyer who's going to pay $30,000 more for that house. And so, um, you know, right away. And so really, I think some of the things that, that homeowners will have to spend money on, they'll realize that value when they sell years down the road. And so, but otherwise, I just really think the market's the main thing. And, and I know that's not an attractive answer, but I see all these lists where, you know, remodel your bathroom and it'll be worth X amount and and do your kitchen and it'll, it'll be worth, you know, you'll get this amount out. But I think a lot of times, really, there, you hardly ever get realized the full cost of what you put in. Okay? And the same is true if you do an addition and you might have to spend $100 a square foot or more to build to build something on to add on to your house but you're probably not going to get that out in the market right away. So that brings me to a question that talks about adjustments. So funny thing is when uh, 7 or 8 years ago when the market started to crash, I, we got requested to do a lot of, you know, BPOs, right? Broker price opinions, oh, yeah. which is basically kind of a dramatically scaled down cheaper version of an appraisal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh yeah. and it's not it's it's done by real estate agents, certainly not done by licensed appraisers. And on those, you know, you're always trying to adjust for different things. And so adjustments always kind of fascinated me. Like if a house has is a three bedroom 
versus a four-bedroom? Like, how do you adjust for the difference in those when you're putting together your appraisal? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. And really, the adjustment, it can come from a few places. Number one, the appraiser can make it up. And uh, I don't recommend that for anyone. <laughs> because in a, in a lot of cases, you'll see on an appraisal, why do appraisers always adjust $2,500 for a half bath or $5,000 for a full bath or $10,000 for a pool or, you know, $50 per square foot for square footage. And so, if those adjustments are always the same, then that's the first danger sign. And, and I'll say because the adjustments are going to depend on the neighborhood. Uh, a custom neighborhood, you might have adjustments that are very significant for square footage, but, you know, in a first-time buyer community or a neighborhood that's, you know, struggling with blight, you might see an adjustment for square footage at, you know, say $25 or $30 a square foot, but, you know, that could be $100 in a different neighborhood. And so, I'll say adjustments are really based on comparing homes uh, with, with you know, certain features. And say, for example, you might look at a house that's 1,200 square feet versus a house that's 1,400 square feet. And so you'll have to look and say, well, how much more did that house that's otherwise identical to the 1,200 square foot house, how much did that 1,400 square foot house sell for? So, you know, say if it was, um, you know, $10,000 more, then that would be, okay, then the market's willing to pay $50 per square foot for, for size. And so, but, you know, what complicates it is that maybe – Maybe the adjustment, maybe it's not so much square footage, but maybe that, that house has an extra bedroom. And so appraisers really have to think through those issues and say, well, is it the bedroom? Is it the square footage? What am I really looking at here? Or maybe there's an extra bathroom, and it's kind of a combination of all those things. And so if you're not careful, you can make adjustments for everything and then accidentally you know, appraise something too low or, or, get, or get something wrong, get it too high. Um, so one of the questions that comes up a lot of times, too, is, how come a smaller home in a community will be worth more per square foot or will sell for more per square foot than a larger home? Like let's say you've got like a 1,500-square-foot home and it's in a neighborhood too where there might be 2,800-square-foot homes. And so a lot of Absolutely. times, of course, yeah. the smaller home appraises you know, or prices out a lot more per square foot. Why is that? You know, well, there's. It really comes down to there's a different square uh, price per square foot depending on the size of the house. And when you think about it, it, it comes down to, in some senses, cost because it costs a whole lot more to build that smaller house. If you think about it this way, say you're working with a 1,500 square foot house and it costs X amount, whatever that amount is. Well, if a builder was going to build a house twice the size. All they would have to do is add on a different story. The foundation's already there, the roof is already there, most of the infrastructure is already there, plumbing's already there. Basically, everything is there. The builder simply has to build up, and so it's going to cost a whole lot less for that um, second story. And so you could effectively, uh, as a builder, save a whole lot of money, a whole lot of money on on that production cost. And so that's why builders a lot of times even though want to want to build larger homes and sell larger homes, even though I think in the media we want to talk about energy efficiency and and how important smaller homes are for the wave of the future, but builders builders are thinking, "Hey man, I want to build that big house because I'm going to make more money." <laughs> so exactly. um and so 
And so to, to get back to the square footage, though, is that you might look at, say, a 1,500 square foot house that might have a square footage um, of $170 per square foot, and you find that out by looking at other 1,500 square foot, 1,400 square foot models, and, well, what's the price per square foot for these similar houses? But you might look at another size house, even just a few hundred square feet less, and say 1,200 square feet, and that model might be selling in 190 per square foot. And so there could be a big value difference, even though there's just a few hundred square feet difference there. And I, I see that all the time with sometimes I'm handed a stack of comps by real estate agents, and, and they're really not comparable because they're kind of operating in a whole different price per square foot range. And so it just comes down to you got to compare apples to apples. So that actually ties us right into Zillow. <laughs> Zillow, everyone's oh, friend. Everyone loves Zillow. I know. So, uh, you know, they've actually gotten, I, I have to give them a little bit of credit, they've gotten better uh, over the uh, over the last year or so, but what is your opinion of Zillow and how accurate do you think it is? Interesting. Um, Zillow, I think it's it's a neat tool. Um and they tout themselves as a ballpark figure, but and they say, you know, we're not an appraisal and blah blah blah. But but really, I think from a marketing standpoint, from a realistic standpoint, they are setting themselves up as the online market expert. And so, I think that on on one hand, they say, yeah, don't you know, look to the professionals. But on the other hand, I think they're setting themselves up as a professional. So what do I think of their values, I think it's extremely hit and miss. And so you might have sometimes in a tract neighborhood where values are somewhat uh, realistic, but other times you could have a property that's off easily by 26%, 25%, you know, uh, 50%, 40%. I'm I'm actually looking in front of me. I I have a few blog posts that compare 10 actual appraisals with uh, Zestimates, the Zillow values, and it's amazing how much they, they can be off whether low or too high, because I really think that Zillow doesn't know the idiosyncrasies of the market. They have no idea about condition, or sometimes in classic areas of Sacramento, in classic neighborhoods, you might have streets that have a premium, even in Placer County, in places where, you know, this house, it, there's something really special about this, or there's something special about the street, and that's not something that Zillow can understand. I mean, because after all, real estate is is so much about emotions, and, and appraisers have to interpret, you know, what's really what's really motivating the buyer to to make this purchase. And so, you know, there might be that emotional element about that great room concept in this property that, yeah, that drove you know ten buyers to offer over asking price, and that probably says something about the market for this house. And so. It's it's interesting. I mean, it's hard for humans to tap into that, and so it's definitely going to be difficult for for a machine, so to speak. You know, it it like where I live is a perfect example. So I live um, out in the Lincoln area by um, off of Sierra College, and we live on. Yeah, I saw I saw you posted I saw you posted on Facebook the other day. It looked like you have a you have a nice little rural area there. Yeah, and so the the interesting thing is is that when you look on Zillow, I actually live. As a crow flies, probably less than three quarters of a mile from Cata Verdera. And Cata Verdera, for those who aren't in the area, is a really high-end, you know, luxury home area. Now, my house, on the other hand, is not. I live in a, you know, very simple house on five acres. But when you look at the Zestimates, it pulls from Cata Verdera. 
So it always makes my house look like it's worth a heck of a lot more than it is because I live so close. I live within the one mile radius that they usually use. <laughs> yeah. And so hey, I that's see, great. You know, so. I know. I see these estimates. I'm like, woohoo! But they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're not even remotely close to what is currently, you know, what my house would sell for on the on the current market. You know, you brought up emotion, and and I always think that that's so fascinating because. Um, as having been in real estate for 20 years now, people always come to you trying to be logical, right? Like, well, you know, the numbers have to make sense and all this. And in all the 3,000 homes I've sold, it's never uh, logical. It's always emotional. And the house yeah. that, I, that we bought that I was talking about that we've lived in for 20 years, I literally came down the road. It was a dirt road, came around the corner, and there was a huge oak tree with a tree house in it. And I called my husband. We had a, a little boy at the time. I said, we're buying a house. <laughs> <laughs> we found it. <laughs> and, and, he, and he said, no, we're not. I'm like, yes, we are. <laughs> I fell in yes. love with the house. And then I walked up to the house, and it was vacant. And I and I peeked in the back window, and there was a huge kitchen. And I said, again, guess what? We're buying a house. It was completely illogical, all emotional reasons for sure. Yeah, no, abso- absolutely. So that's that's how real estate is. It's yeah. I completely agree. So does that make it difficult when you when you are appraising like specifically for a seller or buyer cuz the sellers always want to point out, you know, well I have ceiling fans, so my house has got to be worth more. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean and or you know, I have custom switch plates throughout the house, so you know, my house is worth so much more. Yeah, exactly. I I mean I think it comes down to one thing is that appraisers really need to interview real estate agents and because on one hand you have data that you're looking at. There's, um, you know, you can look up in tax records and understand that a sale sold at, you know, at a certain level, this house sold, and it, it's a certain size and it has a certain bed and bath count and lot size. But, but really what appraisers need to uncover is what motivated the buyer to purchase this home and you know and and understanding the market surrounding that house and all the other homes and so it can definitely be interesting to interpret but i really think it comes down to too that uh, appraisers are searching for market value and i think there's a lot of misunderstanding about that in in the real estate community because a lot of people think well but i have a a willing buyer and a willing seller so we should be able to get this appraised value, but you can have a buyer and seller come together and, and it do, their agreed upon price doesn't necessarily mean that, that that's what the rest of the market would do. And so when an appraiser is looking for what is market value, it's really the most probable price that that property should bring in an open and competitive market. You know, it's not your, you know, distressed value or grandma's selling to her granddaughter low price or, you know, San Francisco Bay Area investor coming out and they're willing to pay more than anyone that price. It's, you know, what if you lined up 100 buyers, how much would most of them pay? I find that to be a really good picture for for thinking about what market value is. That's a great way to look at it. You know, I hear that frequently from sellers too about the Bay Area. Well, somebody from the Bay Area, you know, will come up and pay for it now. I always want to say, well, do you think that the people from the Bay Area are not as smart? <laughs> or, you know, they don't know, you know, what the values are. Yeah, it's cheaper compared to where they're at, but, you know, they're still going to base it. You know, there's that classic saying, value is what someone's willing to pay. Because you can yeah. phrase it, yeah, unless... you know, put whatever you want price on it, but if no one's willing to pay it, then that affects the value. 
Yeah, definitely. And so, and since the appraiser is being hired by the lender to help assess risk and answer the question, should we make a loan on this? You know, the lender's not interested in whether one buyer is willing to pay because they just love this house so much they're willing to spend forty thousand more than anyone. They're they're more interested in hey, if this went into foreclosure, can we resell it? Who can we resell it to? And what are the typical you know hundred buyers going to pay for this thing? And so, uh, that's an important distinction in my mind. Well, yeah, because the buyers are emotional, but the lenders are not. You know, they're simply looking at, at the numbers and rate of return and that kind of thing. That's oh, yeah, they're making an investment. Handling, handling a lot of the bank-owned homes, you know, is that in representing the banks, a lot of times, you know, agents and buyers would come to me and give me this whole list of reasons why the seller should sell it at a different price. It's like, well, they they don't look at any of that. They really just look at the numbers, right? Bottom line, yeah. Boy, it was Bottom interesting, line. though, in the market. Um, you know, when the foreclosure floods first started unfolding, especially in 2008, 2009, you could see just, you know, 70% of the market was foreclosures. But, you know, now it's only about 7.5% REO sales, which is just down significantly. But at first, these properties were just being given away. And it really took a couple of years, as I'm sure you know, with your REO portfolio for the banks to you know start cleaning, cleaning them up and putting new carpet and paint and trying to sell them at a more realistic level. So, so I guess that's that's a you know one redemptive thread in the whole in the whole picture. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about a little bit of well, I don't know if it's fun stuff, but the interesting stuff. So I'd love to hear about some of the really kind of quirky, wacky appraisals you've had to do. You know, there's some really unique homes out there and and different scenarios so you got a couple good good juicy stories for us yeah well i i mean i guess the first one that comes to mind i I guess it's more of a sad story than anything but um i appraised a suicide house i don't know is that is that too touchy oh yeah that Um, could be tough you know it's it's hard to yeah it's hard to sell those many times i know that when people ask about a death in a home from the buyer perspective um, if somebody died peacefully in the house, it doesn't seem to be nearly as an, much of an issue as as a suicide or or murder. Yeah, or yeah, so definitely. How do you, I mean, how do you adjust for value in that situation. That's totally emotional. Yeah, yeah, it was. And the interesting thing about this one is that it was in, in the heat of the intense market last year, and so there was less than a one one month supply of houses on the market, and so competition was absolutely fierce. And so, of course, I didn't see that. I didn't know it was a suicide house until the very end. I almost finished my appraisal, and then I um, then I saw an MLS. It's a death on property earlier this year, right before I pushed submit, and I thought, uh oh. So I called the agent. And said, yeah, there there was a suicide in, on this property, and I. What I had to do was um, I, I interviewed the agent first of all and said, you know, how did buyers respond to this property knowing there was a suicide? And there were certain cultures who said, no way, we're not going to have anything to do with this. But there were eight offers on this property. It was kind of a fixer. It really was selling at a level consistent with other fixers. And so I had to really ask the question, is it selling at this level because it's a fixer or because it's a suicide or there's a little bit of both? And so I just I tracked down a bunch of other recent 
properties where there had been a suicide, and I interviewed all the agents and just asked some questions. And well, how did buyers respond to this? And in this crazy market where people are overbidding and needing to get into something, and tired of getting bid uh, bid out of properties and offering you know 25 times, and and so you know in this market, it really didn't make that much of a difference. But the interesting thing to, in today's market, inventory has doubled. The market's definitely softer. There would be a much bigger reaction, and so, um, you know, so something like that. It, it really depends on what's happening in the market, and so, and of course, I think just the, the gritty circumstances of what happened, where it happened. Um, but that was definitely an interesting one, and that's kind of stuck with me. I actually just shared about that this week at a at an appraisal organization I belong to. So. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, that was, I, that I was interesting. I've had a few of those situations happen over the years, and um, it definitely part of it is culture driven for sure. Some certain cultures are like not going to live there; they just won't do it. And then you know, other people, it doesn't seem to bother them. I think when I think about what would affect me personally, I think I would have a tough time with that. I think if it, you know, someone died naturally, like you know, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away about a year ago, and he passed away in our guest house, and it didn't it doesn't i don't think that bothers people as much as yeah suicide or murders i had a house i sold a few years back and there it was um and the, the other part of town and the there had been a murder in the front yard so some domestic dispute and the boyfriend killed the other boyfriend it was awful but um it didn't really it didn't seem to affect the va- value but it did limit the audience i would say Yes. Yeah. That. Who were willing. And that's what. You're right. I mean, I think that. I mean, it, it absolutely can um, limit the marketability, which I think would, you know, essentially limit the value and lower the value at some point. But sometimes it might just limit the marketability. Then, depending on the market, it really might sell at that level, but it just might take a little longer. You have to find that special buyer. <laughs> You know, funny story, a few years back I had a house um, out in the Newcastle Penryn area, and I had sold this house a couple times for various reasons, and I think I was on the third time selling it for different people, and the buyer, I was representing the seller, and the buyer went down to the school district to get their kids registered for the school, and the gal at the front desk said, oh, you're buying that house? That house is haunted. Oh, no. <laughs> and so the buyer came back and said, well, we've heard that the house is haunted. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure how you would prove or disprove that one, right? It's like <laughs> the seller didn't have any issues with it being haunted that I'm aware of, but it ended up being a really weird situation and come to find out that it wasn't the house that was haunted. Apparently it was the lot next door where way back in the however long ago it was when the, the Chinese built those rock walls throughout Newcastle Penryn um, area, and apparently um, a mine had had crashed and some of the um, workers had fallen in and died in there, and so supposedly the lot next door was haunted. But it was such a quirky situation. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know how to prove or disprove that one. Like, how, <laughs> how do you yeah, solve that problem? That wasn't really an yeah. issue, but it was a funny story. So what are some uh, – What do you have any other good stories? I know we had a house come up recently, and we couldn't figure out how the heck to value it. It was three homes on a two-acre lot, 
out there um, on the, in the Roseville side, kind of way out there off of Willerga, and there's no, I mean, there's nothing like that. So we were oh, trying well, to figure out how yeah. to actually determine the value. Well, that's that's when you rejoice that you are a, a listing agent because then you uh, you can just list it at whatever. If it doesn't sell, I mean, obviously you want it to sell, but you know the appraisers definitely got the harder harder job on that on that one. Uh, there there just there has to be something somewhere and you know throughout the history of MLS you can look you know back you know even go back to 1998 and find something you know what's the market willing to pay for um that sort of unique property and you might find a lot of you know houses that are two houses on one lot but yeah three houses that's that's going to be really tough and so yeah, that would be an ex- an extensive appraisal and you know, some of those sometimes it's just you know I you know appraisers would really have to say is this going to be worth my worth my time uh, to to really be able to do effectively, um, but but that's interesting. I appraised one recently where um, the house was just in uh, utter disarray. It looked like um, the guy was preparing for the the apocalypse um, just because. <laughs> They were all I thought that's what it was actually I you know showed some friends some aerial views of the property and and you know there was just this this concrete dome built on the property um and so I had to figure out well what what is this worth and what's it worth when there's these really funky basements that are dug out underneath the house um and that was really really interesting to say the least wow yeah there's I had a house years ago where um it the only thing I could say is they didn't have the hoarder show back then, or it would have for sure been on the hoarder show. I think the buyer ended up leveling the house and uh, because it was so bad. It, it was so bad. And I remember my marketing director at the time was hilarious. She took a – I said, oh, how are we going to market this one? She goes, I took a picture of the house next door and said, wouldn't you love to live next door to that one? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly true. I, I've uh, – yeah, I I've definitely come across hoarder houses also and it's yeah, it's always sad and um you know, but just tragic and and complicated from the real estate standpoint, but you know, cuz you never know, I mean from a practical safety issue or condition issue, you never know what's behind those walls. You can't see it. And so exactly. you know, is there, is there mold growing there and so you never know, but I once uh, I would say the most uncomfortable thing that's ever happened is I once had a grown man greet me in the door um, when I came up to the door, and, and he was wearing nothing but SpongeBob boxers, and <laughs> that's all he wore during the inspection. He was laying on the couch in sort of this almost provocative pose, and I just that was a really really quick inspection. So you're um, like, wow, I, thought, I got someplace to go. <laughs> Yeah, where's come on, man? Put on some clothes, or at least SpongeBob. That's just what's going on, my man. I can't even tell you how many different things I've walked in on all kinds of stuff. <laughs> I know, one of the funniest stories was uh, a gal. A good, she's a good friend of mine now, and um, she they were we'd been looking for a while, and she brought her family, so, and she's one of four sisters and a brother, and so we show up to this house. The house is supposed to be vacant. Um, and she gets her family there, and they come with two vans. So there's like ten of them, right, coming to see this house. So I kind of knock on the door, bang, I'm really loud, like always, I'm, hello, hello, real estate agent. Open the door, and there's like some furniture in the house, but kind of sparsely furnished. And I was like, okay. So I walk in, and all of a sudden her whole family, you know, they all kind of plow into the house, and they just spread like ants. 
And so I'm standing in there. All of a sudden, I hear one of them scream from upstairs. I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. All of a sudden, she comes running down the stairs. I'm like, what's going on? She goes, there was a guy in the bathtub taking a bath. Oh, no. <laughs> and it left the door open. So, it, I mean, oh, I got, yeah. So oh, my gosh. It yeah, was, I didn't want to see she that. was pretty freaked out, but it was it was funny after the fact. But at the time, it was a little stressful because I was like, "Dude, why didn't you? <laughs> you didn't hear anybody, you know? You didn't hear all these people walking through the house." And sometimes you got to wonder if it's intentional. I don't know. Yeah, that's I don't know. You know, if I could say um, one that that reminded me, I I walked in on a guy once who was let's just say he was he was watching um a movie that was meant for adults and so um i i was just like come on man you heard me knocking on the door just you know just hold off for a minute so exactly give me a break it's crazy yeah well ryan it's been a ton of fun talking to you today i really appreciate you taking the time i know that you teach some classes um and i see that on your your website sacramentoappraisal.blog wait sacramentoappraisalblog.com but i'll post it on my you got page it. too and uh you teach classes and you always have a really informative blog As a matter of fact i just uh, posted a link from yours onto my facebook a few minutes ago cuz it was some great insight on the on the local market you are so, awesome thank you so much thank you so much for chatting with us today and uh, we'll be sure to follow your blog and definitely share this podcast with all your friends hey will do I'll make sure to post it on, on my blog too and uh, thanks again really really appreciate it and uh, hope everyone out there listening and you're doing well thank you have a great day hey Bye-bye. thanks you too Margaret take care bye